At the heart of all these issues is an apparent pattern of an administrator refusing accountability and putting personal and special interests ahead of the American people. Well, I think we got a theme here today. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Nope. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica with you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. Of course, we stream every day for your listening uh, convenience on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and many other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and internet. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me. From bradblog.com thank you very much for joining us today yes uh i think we do have a theme running throughout our show today desi doyan oh goody uh that would be accountability at least shades of accountability uh which finally now seem to be moving in all over the place today i uh, know all at once it's uh it's a lot of accountability all at once from dc to philadelphia to arizona uh, at least shades of accountability, clouds of accountability moving in. Hopefully it's not just a, uh, a, a how an illusion, a, an illu- a chimera of accountability. <laughs> um, but we'll see. We'll get to uh, some of that, a lot of that shortly. But first, this uh, in today, uh, too late to make it into our latest Green News report, which is also coming up in a bit, but hours after an explosion. At an oil refinery in Superior, Wisconsin, injured about 20 people on Thursday morning. Authorities have urged those within a mile radius of the refinery to evacuate the area. Superior Mayor Jim Payne told Time magazine that a tank explosion at the Husky oil refinery caused a fire at the scene and roughly 20 injuries. Six people were transported to a nearby hospital. No deaths have been reported, thankfully. Yeah. Um, the uh, mayor told Time that the scene was stable and that the fire had been put out earlier on Thursday, but Superior Police later said that the fire reignited. Shortly after that, police urged anyone within a one-mile radius of the refinery and within 10 miles to the south to evacuate the area. Uh, I assume that would be due to the smoke that was seen billowing from this, this black smoke billowing from the refinery. Yes, this is toxic smoke, by the way. This ain't just, you know, regular wood fire. This is toxic chemicals and oil burning, which can kill you. This is the type of smoke that uh, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt has been fighting for 
<laughs> fighting to make sure we have much more of it at oil refineries, at coal-fired power, uh, coal power plants. Oh, yeah, and literally hours before this Wisconsin refinery fire, Republican lawmakers were asking Pruitt to relax these refinery rules that block huh. the pollution, or at least, you know, make it more difficult and more expensive if a refinery doesn't maintain its equipment and causes an explosion like this. Incredible. We yep. will have some uh, much more on Scott Pruitt in a little bit bit. Uh, mean, meanwhile, as long as we're on the uh, accountability train here, some some accountability for sure here today. Uh, Bill Cosby was convicted Thursday on three counts of drugging and molesting a woman, completing the spectacular late life downfall of a comedian who broke racial barriers in Hollywood on his way to TV superstardom as America's dad, as AP describes it. The 80-year-old Cosby could end up spending his final years in prison after a jury concluded he sexually violated Temple University employee Andrea Constand at his uh, suburban Philadelphia home back in 2004. Cosby claims the encounter was consensual. Uh, she claims otherwise. Cosby listened to the verdict Read today in the courtroom stoically, but moments later lashed out at the district attorney, Kevin Steele, and called him an a-hole in open court hmm. after the prosecutor asked that Cosby be immediately jailed because he might flee. The judge decided Cosby can remain free on bail while he awaits sentencing. Uh, this verdict comes after a two-week trial. Prosecutors had put five other women on the stand who testified that Cosby... Uh, who's been married for 54 years, that he drugged and violated those women as well. The jury of seven men and five women reached a verdict after deliberating over two days, uh, vindicating the prosecutor's decision to retry Cosby after his first trial had ended with a hung jury about a year ago. Uh, it was the only criminal case to arise from this barrage of allegations against him from more than 60 women who said the former TV star drugged and molested them over a span of five decades. Cosby could now get up to 10 years in prison on each of the three counts that he was uh, found guilty of for aggravated indecent assault. He'll uh, likely get less than that, uh, but uh, given his age, uh, AP notes, even a modest term could mean that Bill Cosby will end up dying behind bars. Wow, that's accountability. And it took 12 years for this case to actually for come. For this case. Yes, for yeah. this one woman. 12 years for and, her to, after she came forward. And some of these other women have been waiting for decades, yep. uh, even longer than that, for any kind of accountabilities. Uh, well, lawmakers in yet another red state and in one swing state are facing some accountability today as well. A wave of red-clad teachers flooded the Arizona state capitol on Thursday for an unprecedented walkout that closed most of the state's public schools, part of an educator uprising that has also now bubbled up uh, today in Colorado. In Phoenix, uh, anywhere from 30 to 50,000 teachers and their supporters marched through Phoenix for a rally at the Arizona state capitol in a line that police said stretched a mile and a half. Yay. Yay, indeed. The educators were demanding a 20 percent uh, pay raise for teachers, about a billion dollars to return uh, school funding to pre-Great Recession levels. 
That's right. These schools are now receiving less money in uh, in Arizona than they did in 2008. And yet we had uh, plenty of money, apparently, for all sorts of tax cuts for rich people and for corporations. Uh, they're demanding increased pay for support staff as well, among other things. Uh, the uh, districts uh, announced school closures in the largest uh, districts, Phoenix, Mesa, Tucson. Meanwhile, in Colorado, more than 10,000 teachers were rallying in Denver as part of a burgeoning teacher revolt over low pay and insufficient funding for schools. These walkouts are the latest in an uprising that began weeks ago with grassroots movement uh, known as uh, hashtag red for ed spreading west from GOP controlled states like West Virginia, Oklahoma and Kentucky, all states where Tax cuts have led to decreased funding for educators and school systems over the past decade or more. Teachers marched in Denver, repeating chants like, Education is our right. We're not going to take it anymore. Desi, I know you have uh, some family in Phoenix you yes. heard from. Uh, that, yes. Uh, they my, said they my, were, yeah. my sister-in-law got to work downtown today, not usually, but this time. And she said it was glorious to hear the marching and the rallies and the shouts and the chants and the horn honking in support. The head of the Arizona Education Association Union, which is uh, allied with the grassroots teachers group uh, that called for the walkout on Thursday, told Phoenix Television uh, that uh, Republican Governor Doug Ducey's unwillingness to meet with the group, uh, with the group leaders at all, makes him believe that they're likely to be, quote, out for a while in Arizona. Thomas has said there is no end date for the walkout and educators uh, it may have to consider a ballot initiative for education funding if lawmakers refuse to come up with a plan of their own. So maybe some accountability there, at least demands for it in uh, in Phoenix and in Colorado, um, where these uh, you know tax cuts for these rich people and uh, these corporations have long taken precedent over educating our children. Oh, yeah, they'll they'll pass a tax cut for the rich and for the corporations in a heartbeat. But, boy, it's like pulling teeth to try to get them to pass any kind of funding for anything else like, you know, kids. The, the very same people who are talking about, you know, family values and our children and uh, they're, they're pro-life and, we, you know, we have to take care of our kids. Listen to the teachers who work with your kids every day. Uh, people, uh, they are telling you we don't have enough money. And uh, what I actually what I like about uh, the, the case in Arizona, this they've actually been promised a pretty huge raise, 20 percent by the Republican governor. But the teachers are saying, no, that is not enough. You have to take care of the support staff. You have to uh, take care of the schools themselves. Yeah, they need repairs. They need so, books. Good for them. Some attempted accountability may be coming for Republicans. This November, with a blue wave of Democratic uh, voters uh, who are expected to sw swamp the U.S. House, we will see. Uh, there's, uh, you know, hope they're hoping for a takeover of uh, a Democratic majority in the lower chamber of Congress. But there are also signs that Republicans in the U.S. Senate, and this is really where it matters, in the U.S. Senate, given that the Senate can... Uh, you know, uh, move through Trump appointees for uh, for federal agencies and lifetime appointments to the federal bench, most importantly, and including one or more new Supreme Court justices, if needed. 
they can do all of that with a simple majority now that the Republicans have changed their rules on that. Uh, and the Republicans control in the Senate a bare 51 to 49 majority right now in the upper chamber. So um, there are more encouraging signs along those lines today that the Senate Republicans could be in trouble. On Wednesday, uh, a couple of uh, new polls came out uh, showing that uh, Senator Dean Heller, Republican of Nevada, is now in a dead heat with Congresswoman Jackie Rosen with uh, his uh, with Heller's reelection numbers below 40 in a new survey by the most reliable pollster in Nevada. That would be uh, Mark Melman. Senator Heller has a 40 to 39 percent lead over Rosen in this new survey. That's a one point lead. According to uh, Melman, a longtime pollster and the man regarded by strategists in both parties, he's uh, he's a Democratic pollster, but he's regarded uh, by both parties as one of the most reliable pollsters in this very difficult to poll state. And 40 percent is a very bad position for an incumbent to be in, especially as the poll shows that uh, Rosen still isn't nearly as well known as uh, Heller is, but is still getting 39% support, Uh, and that President Trump's approval rating in the state is in the toilet there, with 39% of voters approving of the job that he's doing, 56% disapproving. That's Nevada. And in Tennessee, uh, so Heller could be in trouble, and in Tennessee, former Democratic Governor Phil Bredesen has a narrow lead over Congresswoman Marsha Blackburn of uh, Republican of Tennessee in another new poll for the race to fill the U.S. Senate seat being vacated by outgoing Republican Senator Bob Corker. Bredesen, uh, according to a new survey from Mason Dixon polling, has a 46 to 43 percent lead over Blackburn. That's the just the latest survey to find Bredesen, uh, a well-known former governor, uh, to be in the lead in this heavily, well, what was thought to be a heavily Republican state of Tennessee. The candidates both in this case have similar name recognition in the poll. Bredesen starts out the race better liked, however, with uh, 43 percent of the voters favorable of the Democrat, as opposed to just 35 percent who support the Republican Blackburn, who, by the way, is a climate science denier. Oh yeah, Marsha Blackburn. Yes, she is. You just had to tar her. Didn't I had you? to throw you that in there because yeah. people need to understand do. how important the Senate is. Uh, yeah, it is important, and uh, much more so, I would think, than than folks really understand. But you know, it's very possible at this point that Democrats could take over the Senate as well if all the folks who are eligible to vote this year actually come out and vote this year and are allowed to vote this year and their votes are counted accurately. But that's not all. That was th- Those two polls were from yesterday. On Thursday, we have another set of good polling numbers for Senate Democrats. Uh, they now hold leads in... Um, three of their best chances to pick up Senate seats, according to uh, new surveys released by Axios. The latest sign that Democrats have a real shot at netting the two seats that are necessary to retake the Senate this fall. Again, 
Republicans right now have a 51-49 advantage. So if they win one, it's a 50-50 Senate, in which case vice president breaks the tie. But if they win two, they have straight control, uh, 51-49. Also, if they lose none of the others that they're also defending yep. in this November election. Which I'll get to in a moment. Okay. The the most eye-popping numbers of these uh, three new polls uh, from Axios today uh, come from Arizona, where Congresswoman Kirsten Sinema, Democrat, has a 51 to 42 percent lead over Congresswoman Martha McSally, Republican from Arizona, in their hypothetical matchup to replace retiring Senator Jeff Flake. Uh, McSally, uh, the GOP establishment favorite for the uh, for the nomination, is squaring off in a primary against uh, two other Republicans. One is former state rep Kelly Ward and former Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Uh, Cinema leads Ward as well in the hypothetical matchup, 51 to 43 percent against her. She has a huge lead against Arpaio. Uh, in this poll, she uh, would defeat him 61 to 32 percent if the deeply polarizing Arpaio and I should say federal criminal also Arpaio, who was recently pardoned by Donald Trump, if he were to win the nomination. So those numbers come in the wake of a surprisingly narrow win for uh, Congresswoman elect Debbie Lesko in a, a ruby red house district west of phoenix earlier this week she won by less than five points uh, over the democrat in a district that was carried by donald trump by 21 points back in 2016 uh, that has set off alarm bells in uh, in gop circles you will recall in our previous broadcast covering the results of that tuesday race i noted that one election analyst uh, looking at the numbers, had observed that if the rest of the state moves from red to blue, as much as the very red uh, West Valley, the uh, Valley West of Phoenix, uh, as much as uh, that Congressional District 8 race had moved from red to blue on Tuesday, that would mean that the Democrat cinema for running for the Senate, that she could win by 11 and a half points. Well, that appears that seemed insane on Tuesday night. Uh, but now with these two additional or with these uh, new polls, that a number appears similar to the what eight and nine point leads that cinema is seeing in these uh, new poll numbers over the uh, two most likely opponents uh, released on Thursday. So, um, yeah, there's that in Arizona. Those polls uh, come from the online company SurveyMonkey. They find similarly positive results for Democrats in two other states as well, where uh, both of which got that good news uh, earlier in the week in the uh, in this new Nevada survey. Uh, Jackie Rosen, the Democrat from Nevada, leads the incumbent senator Dean Heller again, but by a much higher margin, fifty to 44 percent for the Democrat. And in Tennessee, uh, their governor, Phil Bredesen, the Democrat, former governor, has a 48-47, a one-point lead over Marsha Blackburn. So not uh, the numbers aren't as good for the Democrats there in Tennessee, according to this poll. But uh, this poll is a bit rosier than what Mark Melman had found uh, in those uh, polls earlier this week. 
Nonetheless, not good news for Republicans, encouraging news for Democrats. These results are the latest to show that Democrats are now in a very good position, potentially in all three of these states. Now, the party has, Des, as you mentioned, a a very narrow path to pull off here in order to uh, retake the Senate. They are defending 10 seats in, in states that Donald Trump won in 2016, including five states that Trump carried by at least 19 percentage points. So they will need to sweep the table in all of those states and win two of these three seats we've been talking about here, these uh, currently Republican-held seats. To get a majority. To get a majority or uh, sweep those seats if they lose even one of the other contests. So if they lose two incumbents, they would somehow need to win all three of these states we're talking about, these seats we're talking about, and then they'd need to pull off a huge upset in a state like Texas. Uh, But that is becoming increasingly possible as well. We recently cited a Quinnipiac poll that should be very encouraging for Democrats in the Lone Star State. Um, That one found that Democratic uh, Congressman Beto O'Rourke is now within striking distance, really a dead heat with incumbent Senator Ted Cruz. The poll found that uh, O'Rourke was just three points behind Cruz. That's within the poll's margin of error. And uh, Donald Trump is also found to be deeply unpopular, even in the state of Texas, with just a 42 percent approval rating there. So some very interesting uh, developments in the U.S. Senate. Um, And uh, one more interesting point here out of Texas. Speaking of Beto O'Rourke, he told a Texas newspaper that he would turn down funding from California billionaire Tom Steyer who uh, has openly been discussing contributing to O'Rourke's campaign against Ted Cruz. O'Rourke told the Texas Tribune, thanks, but no thanks. That's my response. He said, I don't want it. That's not how we're doing this. Steyer is, of course, the billionaire environmentalist. He's the head of uh, the super PAC Next Gen America. He said earlier this week that he may be interested in getting involved in the race on O'Rourke's behalf. You probably know uh, Tom Steyer from those uh, Impeach Now commercials that have been playing all over the place yep. to impeach Donald Trump. They have just uh, they announced that today they got their five millionth sign up for that impeachment campaign, by the way. But O'Rourke has said he will not accept. He has insisted he will not accept corporate PAC or super PAC money. Uh, O'Rourke told the Tribune that this is going to be a real test for Texas and for the country and for our democracy to see if people are a match for the PACs and the super PACs and the special interests and the corporations. O'Rourke says, I'm all in on the people. So uh, the Democrat added that he can't stop Steyer or anyone else from running political ads on his behalf. He said, uh, literally, not only do I not have any control, but I'm prohibited by law from coordinating. He said, having said that, for he and anyone considering doing this, we don't want that. It's not the way to run this, and I'm convinced it's not the way to win. So he doesn't want that big uh, billionaire super PAC money down there in Texas, Beto O'Rourke. Well, uh, Ted Cruz certainly is getting the oh, big he's getting super plenty. PAC money from the Koch brothers and yep. the oil industry and pretty much everybody else. 
Yep. Uh, nonetheless, uh, with the polls out this week, as TPM's Cam Joseph, uh, Cameron Joseph notes, Democrats have to be feeling pretty confident, quietly, that they r- might really have a shot at pulling this off. Uh, but it will have to be uh, an inside straight, as Joseph says, in order to take back the Senate. Yeah, requires people to vote. And, uh, of course, they were feeling uh, quietly confident that uh, Hillary Clinton would be the next president of the United States as well, all the way up to the close of polls back in November of 2016. So anyone getting too cocky right now would be out of their flipping mind, yep. frankly. Uh, nonetheless, encouraging news for those who appreciate the national emergency that this country is now in and the need to put the brakes on the runaway train that is this Trump administration right now and uh, on a Republican Party, which has very much coalesced to pretty much anything and everything that Donald Trump has been doing since taking office. And that agenda can only be stopped or at least slowed down by voters showing up at the polls this year, fighting like hell to vote and having their votes counted accurately this November. But the institutions pushing back against our national emergency are, for now, mostly anyway, I think, holding up, uh, at least with the exception of the Supreme Court in any event. But Democrats in Congress and even a Republican or two today uh, are, are pushing back. Or at least they're trying to. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with some some more accountability, this time from Congress for the Trump administration. Some, anyway. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Just a quick thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. To help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves, you're the only thing that keeps us on those public airwaves. We don't rely on uh, corporate support or political support. We rely on you, and your support is needed now more than ever at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com remaining on watch all along the watchtower today. Thanks uh, in no small part, actually. Thanks entirely to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to uh, help us continue to do exactly that. Uh, Let's uh, start here as the uh, accountability continues or tries to all at once. Actually, unfortunately, not much accountability on this point today. The Senate has narrowly confirmed Mike Pompeo to be the nation's new secretary of state. Just as Donald Trump faces uh, high risk moments on Iran and North Korea, Pompeo is the now outgoing CIA director. He secured support from just 57 senators Uh, On Thursday with 42 voting no, that is one of the slimmest margins ever for the job, at least in recent history. Every past nominee for the job since at least the Carter administration has received 85 or more yes votes in the Senate. The one exception is Trump's first secretary of state, Rex Tillerson, who got just 56 votes. So in the end here, uh, Mike Pompeo actually got one more vote. Hmm. than Rex Tillerson did. 
He is, of course, the former Kansas congressman. He has a record of being anti-gay, anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant, anti-Iran, anti-Iran nuclear deal, pro-Iraq war, pro-torture, pro-Donald Trump. And, of course, anti-accountability. He's also a climate science denier, as uh, Desi Doyen would be the first to point (laughs) out. Our first climate science denying Secretary of State. Way to go, U.S. Just for a good measure, yeah. Uh, Those are just some of the American values that uh, Pompeo will now be in a position to be spreading around the world as the nation's top diplomat. On Monday, it appeared that uh, Pompeo was going to fail to even get out of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, but that panel ultimately cleared him after a last-minute flip-flop, which we can always count on from Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, who had previously vowed to use any trick in the book to block Pompeo's confirmation. Uh, But I guess the trick that he didn't tell us about was coming out in full support of Mike Pompeo. Surprise! When it finally came time to actually cast a vote in committee. That, of course, eased Pompeo's uh, path to Thursday's full confirmation vote in the full U.S. Senate and uh, adds another reminder why uh, Democrats need to claw back some control of that chamber this fall. So um, uh, there was uh, a bit, only a bit more accountability uh, elsewhere today in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, where on Thursday they approved legislation to protect the special counsel, Robert Mueller, from being fired in a rare bipartisan step that CNN says sends a warning signal to President Donald Trump not to remove Mueller. But does it really? The legislation which would give Mueller and other special counsels the ability to uh, challenge Their firings in court still has very little chance, if any, right now of becoming law. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has vowed to not put it up on the floor for a vote at all, period, even though it would likely pass. Meanwhile, House Republicans have shown no interest whatsoever in the measure. But in the uh, Senate's 14 to 7 vote to approve the measure... Uh, It was uh, sort of a symbolic message in any event. Four Republicans voted yes for the measure in committee. That would be Senate Judiciary Chair Chuck Grassley of Iowa, Tom Tillis of North Carolina, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, and the outgoing Jeff Flake of Arizona. The special counsel bill was authored by four senators, Democrats Chris Kuhn uh, and Cory Booker of New Jersey. And uh, Republicans Tillis and Graham, Republicans have said the legislation is not about the Mueller investigation. It's just about special counsels overall. And if that helps them to move this forward, that's just fine by me. Uh, They say that Trump's flirtation with firing the special counsel or Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who supervised Mueller, uh, is now looming over everything, pretty much. Trump once again railed against the Justice Department and the FBI in a Fox and Friends interview on Thursday morning where he hinted yet again he might, he might get involved in the Justice Department and the special uh, counsel investigation. Uh, He said in his uh, rambling responses to his friends at Fox and Friends, quote, and our Justice Department, which I try and stay away from, but at some point I won't, Trump said. 
Republicans who opposed the bill made clear they did not believe that Trump should fire Mueller, but they said the legislation was not the proper vehicle to stop him. Well, what is? Senator Orrin Hatch, outgoing Republican from Utah, said that firing Mueller would, quote, cause a firestorm and bring the administration's agenda to a halt and could even result in impeachment. Yeah, sure it would. Not in a uh, Republican Congress in any event. So a shadow of accountability there, sort of. Slightly more here. The White House withdrew the nomination of Dr. Ronnie Jackson, the White House physician, to lead the Veterans Affairs Department on Thursday. Told you it was a busy news day. (laughs) Uh, That after lawmakers went public with a torrent of accusations against him uh, made by nearly two dozen current and former colleagues from the White House medical staff. These are military members of the White House medical staff, by the way. A summary of unverified allegations against Jackson collected by Democratic Senator John Tester, the ranking member of the Senate Veteran Affairs Committee, claims Jackson wrote his own prescriptions and drunkenly totaled a government car at a Secret Service going away party. The allegations were compiled from 23 colleagues and uh, former colleagues in the military who served with Jackson at the White House and included that he gave out large quantities of medications without requiring the recipient to fill out questionnaires or provide any medical history. That practice allegedly once threw the White House medical unit staff into a panic when they realized that a large quantity of Percocet was missing without any documentation was later discovered that Jackson had given the uh, heavy-duty painkillers to a staffer in the White House military office. In the workplace, Jackson was reportedly abusive uh, and uh, an explosive boss prone to ingratiate himself with his superiors like Donald Trump and Barack Obama before him while mistreating the underlings. The writers of the allegations describe him as, quote, volatile, quote, despicable, quote, vindictive, with a pension for, quote, screaming fits. And this man was going to head a, uh, an agency of, of 300 and, what is it, 60,000, 390,000 uh, It's the second uh, people. largest, yeah. the second largest federal agency. With an almost $200 billion budget, and the dude can't manage a bottle of Percocet in the medicine cabinet. Jackson denied the allegations, at least the ones about wrecking the car. He told CNN he had no idea where that was coming from. He says, I have not wrecked a car. I can tell you that. An aide to Tester, however, said each of the allegations included in the uh, documentation was based on information provided by two or more individuals. Uh, This uh, was a shock, apparently, to uh, Texas Senator John Cornyn. Uh, He said... Cornyn. Cornyn, thank you. He said that uh, Tester, uh, he was shocked that Tester was so aggressively pursuing these allegations, pursuing accountability for a guy who's going to run a $200 billion federal agency with 300-something thousand uh, employees. Cornyn was shocked by that given that Tester faces re-election this year in a a state that the president won by uh, more than 20 points in 2016. That would be Montana. Cornyn said, I'm frankly a little surprised at how emboldened he has felt. He apparently isn't too worried about the election. I should think this would help John Tester in the election in Montana since he 
prevented this agency. I mean, we talked about the uh, number of employees there, but millions of veterans rely on the Veterans Administration. Yes, they do. And if you ask those veterans, they'll tell you they don't want the VA privatized. No, they don't. Um, Vote Vets, a progressive group who is supporting vets and their families, said about uh, Jackson's nomination, this appointment to the VA is going to affect the lives of veterans in a very real sense. It is a life and death appointment for many of us. Donald Trump treated it with all the seriousness of deciding what to get for dinner. Trump himself also attacked Tester on Thursday predicting a personal cost to Tester down the line. Uh, He uh, told Fox and Friends for John Tester to start bringing up stuff like Candyman. Apparently that's what they called Jackson, the Candyman, for the way he would hand out drugs uh, at the White House. Um, He said, well, you know, uh, that those are statements that are made up. Donald Trump said there is no proof of this. And he has a perfect record. He has this beautiful record, unblemished. And I think John Tester has a big price to pay in Montana. I don't think people in Montana, the admiral is the kind of person they respect and admire, and they don't like seeing what's happened to him. Nonetheless, Jackson withdrew his nomination despite all of, despite his perfect record for some reason. He withdrew his nomination after uh, Tester's office had published this summary of these mounting allegations. Trump claimed today that he had another pick ready to go for the uh, for the VA after uh, he had previously fired uh, VA Secretary David Shulkin a few weeks ago. But he Trump wouldn't say who that person was. So that means that he probably has nobody at all. But uh, I mean, who would want to work for this guy? Uh, And now, of course, uh, there are questions as to whether Jackson himself, Dr. Jackson, will be able to keep his job as the White House physician, which he's held since 2013. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, the White House press secretary, said in a statement only that Dr. Jackson, quote, is a doctor in the United States Navy assigned to the White House and is here at work today. A ringing endorsement. Yes. Uh, He may not be working there for long at this rate, despite his perfect unblemished record. All of which underscores once again that Donald Trump destroys everyone and everything that he touches. You can see the road littered for miles with folks whose livelihood and careers Donald Trump has destroyed at this point. Pretty much everyone who comes into his orbit ends up leaving it disgraced. They end up leaving it worse off than when they came into it. I mean, is there anyone who has come out better for their time with Donald Trump? He has the anti-Midas touch at this point. And then (laughs) there's the scandal-plagued Scott Pruitt, EPA administrator who faced at least some accountability testifying before two different U.S. House committees on Thursday as he tried to defend himself against the, the mountain of corruption allegations that keep coming now on a on a daily basis. Pruitt fought back on Thursday against charges that he abused his position as EPA administrator, telling lawmakers that he had, quote, nothing to hide about the scandals that have put his job in jeopardy. It is indisputable that we have made enormous progress in advancing President Trump's reform agenda and pruning back decades of regulatory overreach that was unnecessary, burdensome, and ultimately harmful to hardworking Americans across the country. (laughs) As I said before you today, I recognize there have been very troubling media reports over the past few weeks. I promise you that I, 
more than anyone, want to establish the hard facts mm -hmm. and provide answers to questions surrounding these reports. Let me be very clear. I have nothing to hide as it relates to how I've run the agency for the past 16 months. <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit that there's been a learning process, and when Congress or independent bodies of oversight find fault in our decision-making, I want to correct that and ensure that it does not happen again. Ultimately, the, as the administrator of the EPA, the responsibility for identifying and making changes necessary rests with me and no one else. With that being said, facts are facts and fiction is fiction. Yeah. And a lie doesn't become truth just because it appears on the front page of the newspaper. Much of what has been targeted towards me and my team has been half-truths or at best stories that have been so twisted that they do not resemble reality. And I'm here, and I welcome the chance to be here, to set the record straight in these areas. But let's have no illusions about what was really going on here. Yeah. Those who have attacked the EPA and attacked me are doing so because they want to attack and derail the president's agenda and undermine this administration's priorities. Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> Pretty much none of it. Uh, one, uh, he says he takes responsibility, uh, lies with him and no one else. And then he went about for hours blaming pretty much everyone else for all of these scandals that have come out, taking responsibility for literally none of them. Uh, the allegations uh, made against Pruitt, and there are tons of them, have all been very well documented and supported by internal emails, FOIA requests, disclosure documents, lobbying disclosure documents, and much more. And uh, it's not just Democrats who are calling for him to step down. 170 of them, I think, have done so now. Five Republicans have as well called for his resignation. Democrats unleashed on Pruitt uh, in these hearings, saying that he had shown he was unfit to run the agency, while most Republicans rallied to his defense, deriding the criticisms as shameful, a shameful political show designed to undermine Pruitt's rollback of the Obama EPA's environmental rules. Um, Pruitt, however, is facing numerous investigations, not just from Congress, but also the White House, government watchdogs into his taxpayer funded first class travel, his unprecedented 24 hour security detail, his sweetheart rental deal uh, with a lobbyist who sought to influence his agency. Pruitt blamed his staff for the controversial purchase and installation of a $43,000 privacy booth in his office, a phone booth, and said he would uh, he would have stopped it had he known about the costs. Uh, but he, he didn't. He had no idea. In fact, all of the testimony that I've been able to see, he blamed his staff for just about everything, taking oh, yeah. no responsibility at all. Oh, none whatsoever. He blamed everybody. And whenever he was asked a question by these Democratic lawmakers, he refused to answer any yes or no questions right. with a yes or no. Right. No, he right, exactly. Uh, his uh, dodges to do that from doing that were just amazing. A couple of exchanges here with... Uh, Congressman uh, Paul Tonko of uh, New Jersey, New York, think, uh, New York. Democrat uh, he, of New York, and he's the ranking member of the House Environment uh, Subcommittee. Here he is uh, pressing Pruitt, just trying to get a yes or no answer on whether the EPA chief authorized his chief of staff, who he has now blamed uh, for approving these huge raises for several senior staffers who were colleagues from his uh, Oklahoma days from uh, uh, Pruitt's Oklahoma days when he where he was the corrupt attorney general of that state. Um, and, and they were approved for these raises even after permission for those raises were denied by the White House Presidential Personnel Office, the PPO. Recently, it came out that two EPA employees who came with you 
to Washington from Oklahoma were given significant raises over the White House's objection. Uh, when you were interviewed by Ed Henry on Fox News, you claimed to have been unaware of those raises. At the time, Ed Henry asked you whether you intentionally went around the White House or whether you simply had no idea what your staff was up to. The EPA Inspector General is looking into those raises, and last week the IG released preliminary information showing that the forms to grant the raises were signed by your Chief of Staff, Mr. Ryan Jackson, who wrote that he was signing on your behalf. This is your opportunity to set the record straight. Did you, Administrator, authorize Mr. Jackson to sign those documents for you? Congressman, those were delegated to uh, and that uh, to Mr. Jackson, and, and the Inspector General did uh, reference that in his management alert. So and he did. The you did authorize him then to sign them. Th those th those decisions. That decision was made by. You, yes or no? Have. Did you authorize him? <laughs> there are delegations giving him that authority. So that's a yes. That there, you. The, the Inspector General recognized that, uh, Congressman. That, so you authorized Mr. Jackson to sign those documents for you in intern, uh, internal emails. Sarah Greenwald, one of the aides who received a substantial raise, stated that you were aware of and supported the raises. Was that true? I think um, with respect to the raises, what's well, important? Yeah, was that true? Congress, I have I five minutes, so I, I have to move along. I was, was not aware true? of the amount, nor was I. Not the amount. Aware, were you aware of the raises? I was not aware of the amount, nor was I aware that, uh, uh, of the bypassing or the uh, PPO process not being respected. If, if, well, well, then I'm concerned that you have no idea of what is going on in your name at your agency, especially on an issue already under IG investigation. Just, just yes or no. Just answer <laughs> yes or no, Mr. Administrator. Uh, CNN reports that there was a collective O blank, I can't say the word, uh, when uh, Pruitt finally ended up admitting that, yes, he did know about the raise. He just didn't know about the amount. That's how he is now. This after he had claimed uh, that he had no idea about the raise for weeks. He finally admitted he did, but just not the amount. Slippery. He also refused to give a yes or no answer on policy questions as well, as Tonko also tried to get a straight yes or no answer on whether Pruitt knew about the internal emails expressing concerns about his new scheme uh, announced uh, this week, as we discussed on yesterday's broadcast. With Rebecca Lieber of Mother Jones, yes. Now, Tonko, in this upcoming clip, he's referring to Nancy Beck, who you should know holds the highest level chemical safety position at the EPA. She is a former American Chemistry Council lobbyist. And uh, this is about Pruitt's uh, plan now to uh, restrict the use of scientific studies in the EPA rulemaking process. You've spent this week claiming to champion transparency, but on Tuesday you blocked the press from attending an event where you announced a new proposal that will severely limit the agency's use of public health studies in policymaking. When internal emails came out about this new policy last week, they revealed that it had been developed entirely by political staff seemingly without a robust outside stakeholder process. And once the press started covering those emails, they were removed from the agency's public FOIA portal. I do not know if you were personally involved in the decision to remove those emails, but it certainly was not transparent. Mr. Administrator, you like to claim that you support the rule of law and acknowledge the limits of EPA's authority. Many of our environmental statutes are clear. EPA must use the best available science as a foundation in policy making. This proposal would prevent that. Are you aware, yes or no, that Nancy Beck raised concerns that such a policy could also impact data that would be important to industry, such as confidential business information? Yes or no? This effort. Yes or no? This effort, Congressman, 
uh, was about ensuring that as were you aware that the agency were you aware that, that Nancy Beck raised the concerns? Were you aware? Sir? As I indicated, Congressman, this effort is actually a reflection Sir, I of need Congress's commitment to transparency. At I the take that as a yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes or no? Yes or no? Uh, he can't answer a question. Uh, we're running late, Des, but I know you had a bunch of other audio. Is there uh, any more we uh, should run here before we uh, get out? Um, no, I'll just mention that uh, Representative Joe Barton of Texas, remember he's Smokey Joe, the one who apologized to BP when they uh, con- when they launched the BP oil disaster in the Gulf. He today called Pruitt a victim and said he was a victim of D.C. politics. And uh, Representative Betty McCollum of Minnesota, uh, she uh, represents the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and she just flat out said, Mr. Pruitt, you should resign. Incredible. Uh, At least an attempt at some accountability in the uh, U.S. House today. Quick break, and we'll be back with the Green News Report. And uh, yes, more on Scott Pruitt uh, after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Man, what a day. I know. What a day from (laughs) just everywhere, all sorts of things, all happening at once. It feels like... Maybe some accountability is actually happening, happening, um, but we shall, uh, see. We shall <laughs> see. Okay, uh, a little bit of accountability, I guess, uh, coming up here in our latest Green News Report. Today is a red letter day. It's a banner day. EPA chief launches sweeping overhaul, restricting EPA's use of science. Let us face it. There is no planet B. French President Macron criticizes Trump's inaction on climate change. The vast majority of Americans prefer renewable energy to fossil fuels. Plus, global warming has transformed the Great Barrier Reef potentially forever. All of those forever transformations and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I would argue that's the most useless, ineffective holiday since Arbor Day. And I'm sorry, Arbor Day, but your secretary's day for trees, and we all need to accept that. (laughs) Happy Arbor Day. This is your Green News Report. Okay. 
Okay, Desi Doyen, I'm afraid Arbor Day really is like Secretary's Day for trees. Uh, Looking it up on my calendar, it's not even listed. It was hard to figure out when the hell is Arbor Day. But you did anyway. Hooray for trees. Happy Arbor Day. (laughs) Well, first up, we have embattled Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt, who this week proposed a sweeping new rule that would severely limit the types of scientific studies that the EPA can use in developing regulations. Pruitt's deceptive transparency rule would actually restrict the agency to only using studies where the underlying data is public. Now, while that sounds logical, in practice, it would conveniently block the EPA from relying on studies that use confidential patient medical records, the kind that have been used in landmark studies linking pollution and pesticide exposure to harmful health impacts. Well, that's convenient for him, isn't it? It is. In an interview with the broadcast, Mother Jones environment reporter Rebecca Lieber said that the rule could permanently weaken the EPA's ability to protect public health. The EPA, if this rule goes forward and isn't stopped in courts, then they could look at this limited pool of studies and potentially to roll back these standards further and say that's what the science supports. However, the proposed rule has a special loophole that allows the EPA to rely on industry-funded studies. There is a generous carve-out for industry in this rule that essentially lets Pruitt personally to decide what gets exempted from this new requirement. Did you get that? EPA Chief Pruitt can personally exempt certain studies as long as they're from industry. The proposed rule docket is now open for a 30-day public comment period at regulations.gov. What is it? Regulations.gov. Got it. Meanwhile, French President Emmanuel Macron in the U.S. for an official state visit contrasted his day of hugs and handshakes and backslaps with Donald Trump with a pointed address to a joint session of Congress in which he was highly critical of Trump's policies, including Trump's vow to withdraw from the global Paris climate agreement. I believe in building a better future for our children, which requires offering them a planet that is still habitable in 25 years. Let us face it, there is no planet B. (laughs) Let us work together in order to make our planet great again and create new jobs and new opportunities. And I'm sure one day The United States will come back and join the Paris Agreement. And I'm sure, and I'm sure we can work together to fulfill with you the ambitions of the Global Compact on the Environment. Well, after a day of hugs and kisses with Donald Trump, it's good to hear Macron tell Congress what's really on his mind. Meanwhile, the impacts of climate change are transforming Australia's Great Barrier Reef. Coral reef scientists warn in a new survey that the world's most famous coral reef could be in irreversible decline after repeated bleaching events caused by surging ocean heat temperatures. Since 2016, several coral bleaching events in a row have killed off approximately half of the Great Barrier Reef, and increasing temperatures and ocean acidification are also killing other corals around the planet. 
Finally, a recent Gallup survey has found that in contrast to President Trump's policies, the vast majority of Americans continue to prioritize environmental protection, energy conservation, and developing renewable energy over increasing conventional fossil fuel energy production. Only 21 percent of Americans in the survey favored increasing oil, gas, and coal versus 60 percent who said the reverse. The survey found that 73 percent of Americans said they wanted the U.S. to focus on conservation and developing wind and solar energy more than they wanted to focus on producing more fossil fuels. And where did you get the idea that this administration has any interest in what the American people think? Good point. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Happy Arbor Day. I talk to the trees, but they don't listen. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dazzy Doyen. Uh, and uh, you have one point you wanted to, uh, that sort of wraps up all of this conversation today about Scott Pruitt. Yes, especially about Scott Pruitt, because, you know, he brags about how much he's saving yeah. the America from all of his deregulation efforts. And I just want to remind people that the fact of the matter is that he is not cutting costs. His deregulation efforts are actually pushing pollution costs onto the public and that communities across the country are going to suffer as a a result of his deregulation. So the pollution costs continue, whether uh, the the government puts the money up front to stop the pollution from happening or the American people pay for the costs of that pollution thereafter. Exactly. When, and when industries don't have to clean up their act, the American people pay for it. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer and uh, the uh, champion of the Green News Report. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, also, a thanks to everyone for tuning in today. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Though my great thanks to those of you who continue to stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves, especially thanks to those who sign up for a monthly subscription for any amount you like. It is all greatly appreciated and greatly needed. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Blog. We will be off on the next thrilling broadcast. Don't panic. We will be back for the show thereafter. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 